Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, hey, if you have a Bible, I hope you do open it to Psalm 62. That's if you're using one of the Bibles on the chair in front of you, underneath the chair in front of you, you can find that on page 333. And uh, we, as you probably figured out in the last few seconds. We're taking a, a still a little bit of a break from our uh, Ephesians series. Uh, realize that it's holidays, lots of folks, folks traveling, and so we're going to be in Psalm 62. Today is kind of a, a New Year's resolution, resolution message, if you will, and then we'll pick back up in Ephesians chapter 3, I think is where we are next week, and we'll be in it for, for a while. Um, but today we're going to be in Psalm 62. And uh, forgive my voice, and if midway through the Sudafed that I'm hyped up on um, wears off and I start, snart, my, my nose starts uh, running a little bit and I sniff, that's always such a pleasant thing to listen to in a microphone, somebody uh, sniffing their nose, but, um, but uh, it's, been <laughs> it's been kind of a hazy week for me. I've been down for the count all week, and um, I just need to get this out there right now. I'm the wimpiest sick person on the face of the planet. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm... Did I hear an amen over there from my wife? <laughs> I mean, I'm not the toughest guy in the world, but I've been through some stuff, you know, been in the Army for a while, played ball most of my life, but man, I get a cold, I fold up like a napkin, and um, wasn't getting a whole lot of sympathy from the other people that live in my house. But anyway, I'm on my feet today, and uh, we're going to give it a shot. Well, um, listen, I don't know if you're the type of person that makes New Year's resolutions, um, I, I think they're a good, good thing to do. In fact, one of my uh, heroes of the history of the church, Jonathan Edwards, as a young man in his early 20s, wrote 70 daily resolutions that he tried to live by. And um, I, in fact, we sell his little, his little pamphlet of his resolutions in the uh, resource center, and they're really profound. I mean, for a 20, 21-year-old kid, basically. Uh, writing these things, it was just amazing the things that he resolved in his heart to do. And of course, he makes a sort of uh, a sort of precursor statement at the beginning of those resolutions that he's not trying to be man-centered in his effort to sort of conjure up his own strength. He's saying that as, as Christ wills, as Christ enables me, I will try and live by these resolutions. And so I'm, I'm kind of geared that way. I like to to think about um, a new year and and about about some things in my life that need to shore up a little bit and. And so I want to kind of in that backdrop of, of this sort of mindset that we have in the beginning of the new year, I want to I take a look at Psalm 62, and I want to look at this idea of taking refuge in God or hiding in God. Now, if you've been around Crosspoint for a while, you know that one of, I think, the big themes of scriptures is the providence of God. I think that God is absolutely and completely in control of everything, and I think that's kind of one of the sort of governing truths of my life because I think it is so clear in the scriptures. But an interesting thing about the providence of God, it's always good, but it's also very, very mysterious because if you spend any time reading the Bible, you realize very quickly that that it seems like things get off the rails pretty quickly. I mean, in Genesis chapter 3, stuff starts to go downhill quickly. But yet, also, laced all throughout the scriptures is this clear truth that God is in control, that he can do whatever he wants, that he knows the end from the beginning. And so there's this strange combination, this mysterious combination of 
these two truths that God is completely and utterly sovereign and all-powerful, and yet also he allows for human brokenness and sin and rebellion. And then within these two truths, you have what I think is the bulk of Scripture, which is God pleading with his people to take refuge in him, to to come back to him. And so just think about that for a second. As we look at the Bible as a whole, you have a God who is all-powerful and complete control, who knows the end from the beginning, who is obviously over and sovereign over human rebellion and sin and everything that happens, and then allows these things to happen, but then now calls us to take refuge in him. So there's this God who is ordaining the end, but he's also ordaining the means and, and the means that he's using to bring glory to himself, which I think is the other great theme of Scripture, the providence and power of God, and then the glory of God, is that God seems to have deemed that the greatest way that he can bring glory to himself is to call for his people to take refuge in him, even as they struggle to allow to permit, to ordain even struggle and rebellion so that he would bring glory to himself by calling his people to take refuge in him, to to hide themselves in him. And and here's where it gets even more interesting is is that he's he's actually calling us to do something. He's, He's pleading with us in scripture to do something that we're actually fantastic at. We're fantastic at hiding. I mean, we've been doing it since Genesis chapter 3. We've been hiding behind fig leaves and all other manner of things that will not quite cover us and give us refuge. And so I think that the message of the gospel and the message of the scriptures, and I think what we're going to talk about today, the message is not to come out from behind your fig leaf and be a more awesome version of you. That's not what God is calling his people to do. The message, I think, of the gospel and of the Bible is hide yourself in the only thing that can truly give you refuge, which is God himself. And so we, I think, at this particular time of year, are particularly prone uh, to hide in the wrong things. I'm sure some of us have set goals to lose weight, maybe to start that Bible reading plan, and this is the year that you're going to do it. And here's the thing, when we hide ourselves in anything other than God, by the way, those, those two things may very well be good things to do, uh, but, but here's the deal, when we hide in things other than God, when we succeed in them, then it causes us to be prideful, which then we're kind of hiding in our sort of self-centeredness, and if we fail in them, then, then we also sort of hide in blaming others or, or just some sort of sense of condemnation or we escape into all sorts of manner of destructive behavior. And so this morning, I, I want us to just read through Psalm 62, which is a psalm of David, and uh, we're just going to draw out some thoughts. I don't have any points, nothing up on the screen today. Um, we'll, we'll get back into nitty-gritty stuff when we get into Ephesians, but t- today is just a meditation, a devotional look at hiding ourselves in God. So let me read um, Psalm 62. In fact, here's what we're going to do. Instead of reading the thing all the way through, I'm just going to read and stop and read and stop, and then we'll, uh, then we'll, we'll finish. All right, I rarely do this, but as I was reading the beginning of the little, post, the little prescript on this psalm, I just had to throw this name in there. Psalm 62 starts, not in verse 1, but before it, it starts with this little prescript there where it says, To the choir master, according to Jeduthun. 
a psalm of David. Now, I've made, I've made a lot of references to really cool biblical names in the past, but I'm going to just throw a gauntlet down right here. If the evangelists ever have a fifth child, that kid is going to be named Jaduthan. Because here's the awesome thing about Jaduthan. When you think about Jaduthan, it could actually be like a boy or a girl's name. Like, you know, Jad- what's up? I mean, Jaduthan, I mean, I dare anybody in this room right now that's going to have a baby this year to name their boy or girl Jaduthan. That is, that is a particularly fantastic biblical name. Well, let me read verse 1. Um, I'm sorry, just to kind of <clears throat> get you going here. You can tell the Sudafed is taking effect. This is what David writes. For God alone... My soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Okay, so he starts off with these two verses with just sort of a proclamation. We're going to read here in a few verses how it seems to, he's in the middle of what seems to be trouble, but he says here that he's just making a statement. He's, he's saying, hey, listen, so you're, I'm waiting for God, don't we hate to wait? Isn't waiting dreadful? I mean, I think just kind of being Americans in the modern age makes us particularly bad at waiting. But I mean, come on. I mean, God forbid we be put on hold with customer service for more than like 45 seconds, right? You know, I was just trying to set up an a AT&T service call to our house because our phone line was a little down. And so I got the little computer, and the little computer voice told me that be, due to uh, uh, extremely high volume of calls, I mean, when is that ever not the case when you're calling customer service, that there was a possibility that I could be on hold for two to three minutes. <laughs> the nerve, the nerve of AT&T to take out 90, maybe 120 seconds of my life. Or maybe I did the math wrong. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Two to three, say 120, or 180 seconds of my life. I was, a, I was not a math and science major. We're terrible at waiting, are we not? And the thing is, is that um, when we wait, when we, when we hate to wait, it just kind of exposes us, doesn't it? I think the reason we hate to wait is because we're hiding in all of the wrong things oftentimes. And um, it, just, it just makes us feel more vulnerable. But here, David writes that his soul waits in silence. That God alone is his rock and salvation, his fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 3, he goes on. Now, he shifts from a sort of statement about God to think now about sort of what's around him in, in his life. Verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah, which means stop and think about this. Now, this be, those two verses there, three and four, seem a little, they seem a little intense, don't you? And I think, I think it gives us a little glimpse of David's inner life, maybe even his insecurities. He was, he was this great king. But yet, if you're familiar with David's life and story, you know that he faced a lot of challenges from his own children and from, from other people in his life. And, and it seems like that it seems like maybe he's, he's sort of going through a real insecure moment here where, I mean, really? I mean, really? 
Will all of you attack? I mean, he's the man here that's being attacked. And, and is everybody really, is everybody really setting their their, their plot against David? Are, are all these people around David right now, is the only thing they're doing really planning to thrust him down from his high position? Is the only thing that the people around him are doing is taking pleasure in falsehood and that they're sort of throwing out these blessings, but inwardly they're cursing? Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that three, verses 3 and 4 are not legitimate. I'm just saying that it gives us a sort of perspective of a tired and weary soul who's probably realizing maybe that he's been hiding in all of the wrong things. And, and this is manifesting itself with a, a really sort of a terrible insecurity that is causing him to, to fear man. And uh, if there's anything that being in ministry for this will this April, we'll have been a church for seven years, and I spent a few years before that on staff in ministry at another church. And if there's anything I, I know that makes a terrible master, it's the fear of man. It makes a terrible master. It's never satisfied. I know that. In fact, there's probably one thing that I look back on my life that I have hid in or tried to hide in more than other. It's the good opinion of others. And it makes a terrible, terrible master. And that may be a bit about what David is experiencing here. Well, let's keep reading verse 5. He shifts now again. Remember, he started off the first two verses with this proclamation of who God is and what he has done. And then he kind of gets back down into reality, surveys the situation. We come to grips with his insecurity. And now he shifts back again to not just making a statement about God, but listen, he's going to actually make it more personal. He's going to, in a sense, speak to himself. Verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Remember in verse, in verse uh, 2 there, he says, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. But now in verse 6, he's saying, I shall not be shaken. So as he's starting to think about God and think about who God is and how he can hide himself in God, you can almost sort of see his confidence rising. He started off with just this statement saying that I won't be greatly shaken. But now, as he thinks about God, as he's beginning to hide himself in God, to take refuge in God, in verse 6, his confidence has grown to the point where he will say, I shall not be shaken at all. Verse 7, he goes on to say, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. What I think is really interesting about these three verses is we see a transition. David has just, like I said, gone from making a statement about God into making a statement about his circumstance. Now he's thinking about God again, but it gets personal. He, he now speaks he's like he's preaching to himself. I, I love what Will just said just a moment ago when he was reading out of Psalm 103 where he talked about how, how we, we're really instructing our own heart to bless God. And this is a real simple and important, I think, just spiritual discipline that, that we could all do well to just think about and, and make a habit to, to really preach truths about God to ourselves. 
you know, I, I, I often, I, I, I don't sleep well. Um, it's just, I think, just, m- again, my own insecurities and being a pastor, and I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning often, and I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about a person, I'm thinking about a, a person who's, who's kind of a wayward sheep or whatever. And it, it, when I, uh, my natural default, when I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about a situation or a person or, or wanting to reach out with them, my natural default is a sort of negative a sort of negative default to sort of think the sort of the worst of that situation or maybe of what that person is thinking or maybe of what they're thinking of me. And, and this is something that I, I, this is one of my New Year's resolutions, if you will, to do better at preaching to myself. And I think that that starts with hiding yourself in God in that sort of vulnerable moment in the middle of the night or when you're all alone and your mind is flooded with just absolute despair, David, as he comes out of these thoughts of despair, it's like he catches himself in verse 5, and he says, no, 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 for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. David is preaching to himself here. He's preaching truths about God. He's instructing his heart to not hide in the fear of man, but to hide in God. Verse 8, he goes on, and he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. So now he transitions from speaking to himself, and it's like this confidence is swelling up in his heart. And now it can't just be sort of contained in him, but he has to, he has to share it with people now. He has, it has to flow out of him. It's not just something that God is doing for him. And so hiding in God and trusting in God and taking refuge in God ultimately doesn't just dead end on us, but now it begins to bubble out of David to be a sort of exhortation to all those around him. And so now he goes from preaching to himself to preaching to others. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart. I mean, just what does that look like for you, for me, to, for us to hide in God in such a way that when we come to God, it's not, it's not this sense that we're coming to him with everything squared away. Remember the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible is not come out from behind your fig leaf and be awesome. The message of the gospel is come out from behind that fig leaf that won't cover you and hide yourself in the only thing that will, where you can be vulnerable, where you can pour out your heart to a good father, where you can Wake up in the middle of the night with despair on your soul, where you can go to God with concerns for that family member who doesn't love Jesus, where, where you can go to God with the sin that seems to be beating you up, beating you down day after day to pour out your heart before him. I mean, think about how, really just how ridiculous it is to try and hide things from God or to keep things pent up from God as if he doesn't already know. I mean, Psalm 139 says that he knows the the words on our lips before we even speak them. And, and isn't that sort of folly to sort of try and hide our inward thoughts from God, thinking that he might sort of condemn us for our thoughts when he knows them even before we think them? I mean, think about the folly in that. And, and here David is, is exhorting us to pour out our hearts before him and that that is a safe thing to do. God is a refuge for us. Verse 9, those of low estate, 
are but a breath. And now he's, well, let me stop before I start reading verse 9. He's, he's made this proclamation about God. He's got this perspective. It's like he's back on his feet again. And now he moves from preaching to himself to actually being a sort of social commentator. Now he has, he has perspective. See, when you, when you start to get the truth wired, when you're hiding in God, and when you, when you kind of have your head clear, you, you now can kind of look out and survey the culture, and you can have a much better perspective than he did in verses 3 and 4. And he goes now to being a sort of commentator uh, on the world around him. Verse 9, he says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. I mean, this honestly sounds like something out of Ecclesiastes. It sounds almost a little fatalistic, but I don't think that's the point that David is making here. I think the point he's making is that hiding in God makes things that stress us out here and now seem trivial. As Ecclesiastes would say, it makes the, the things of this earth seem like vanity. And so now Paul has this perspective that, that we see when we hide ourselves in God that, hey, listen, you're poor, but a breath. You're rich, it's just a delusion. Everything kind of evens out in the end. Together, this is lighter than a breath. Verse 10, he says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Again, perspective. Hey, listen, don't strive to get ahead don't put all of your effort in a sort of man-centered hamster wheel existence to make things go and increase in this life. Don't set your heart on that thing. Put your trust in God. Hide in Him. Verse 11, he continues and says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, Belongs steadfast, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. So, again, the message, I believe, of the Bible, the message of the gospel, the message of Psalm 62, is not come out from behind your fig leaf and be a better you or be awesome or prove yourself to God or prove yourself to people. The message of the scriptures is don't hide yourself in things that can't hide you. Hide in God. So in conclusion, let me just think with you for a second about what exactly it means to hide in God. Well, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Jeremy read this at the beginning of the, serv- ser- uh, at the, beginning of the service. Colossians chapter 3. Let me just read these four verses that he read at the beginning and then And then we'll respond and worship. Colossians is in the New Testament, about midway through one of Paul's epistles. Paul writes this about the hidden life in God. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what's that mean? It means that if you're a Christian and God has brought you back to life by the power of His Word, by the power of His life-giving Spirit, it means that if you're a Christian, here's how you became a Christian. The Bible's clear that we're all dead in our sin. We're, we're, we're rebels against God. We're not born morally neutral. 
It's not like there's Christians and then kind of middle people and then there's rebels, like the really bad people. There's only two types of people in this world, those that are alive in Christ and those that are dead in sin. And, and friends, that's not, that's not me speaking. If you have issue with that, that's the clear witness of Scripture. And, and the Bible says that we are dead in our sins and the power of God's life-giving Spirit comes and hits our heart with this news of what Christ has done on the cross. And what has Christ done on the cross? He has taken our sin upon himself. He has bore the punishment for our rebellion against God. And he has extinguished God's holiness and justice on the cross. And he, he satisfied God's holiness. And he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose again in victory over our sins, thereby defeating death defeating sin, defeating all of its consequences. And now he is alive. And now he commands all of us to turn and trust in him. And you may be thinking, well, how can, I mean, we're dead in our sins. How can we even believe? That's why the gospel is such good news, is the gospel is so powerful that when it hits a human heart, it brings life. You see, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. If then you have been raised with Christ... Now, now you can put your mind on things above. And so, so before we even get into this little line here, which is so beautiful in verse 3, where Paul's going to talk about being hidden with Christ, you need to understand the gospel first before you can truly understand what it means to hide in Christ. Because hiding, hiding in God and hiding in Christ is not just sort of going you know, to, to sort of this big figure named God who's just going to kind of make things work out for you. No, it means that you have trusted in what Christ has done as the sacrifice for your sins. And you have done that because God made you alive. And now you are alive in him. And now you have a heart, you have a mind, you have the ability, you have, you have the faith to trust in him. And now Paul is directing our hearts to him. He says, now seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Verse 3, now listen to this. For you have died, meaning your old life. You've died, you're gone. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so what it, what it means to take refuge in God, to, to be hidden in God, is to be trusting in Christ's finished Work on the cross alone and nothing else for your right standing with God. Think about the freedom and the release just to recalibrate our minds in that one great truth that we are, we are hiding in Christ's finished, perfect work. That's what it means to be a Christian. doesn't mean that you're sinless. doesn't mean that you're perfect. doesn't mean that you're not still very much in process. Remember that British theologian, William Arno, that I quote so often here? I love this cat. Lived in the 1800s. Had a really cool beard, too. It was long, and it kind of ended in a point. Just, and he had this really cool hat that I see in some of the pictures that they took. It just looks awesome. It's one of the cats I'm meeting. Everybody, when we get to heaven someday, you guys are going to be in the Moses line and Paul. You know, like, oh, you're awesome. I'm going to be in Willie Arno's line saying, dude, man, cool beard, number one. And number two, I quoted you all the time, bro. That was awesome. You really helped. This, this cat helped me really understand what it means to be a Christian. This is what Will, William Arnaud said. He said that the difference between a Christian is not that one has sins. Oh, they put it up there. I've got to get the quote right now. I'll read it. <laughs> the difference between an unconverted and a converted man is not that one has sins and the other has none. 
but that the one takes part with his cherished sins against a dreaded God, while the other, meaning the Christians, takes part with a reconciled God against his own sin. Do you see the difference there? That's the difference between life and death, friends. And that's what Paul is saying here. For you have died. That doesn't mean that you're sinless, but you are taking God's side against your sin. And now you are hidden, not because God has saved you so that you can go about and do things and come out from behind your fig leaf and be awesome. But God has saved you, not just by Christ's work once for salvation, but now also for your life now so that you can hide in what Christ has done for you, and you're hiding in that continually. Now you're hidden with Christ in God. That's the whole sum of the Christian life. Not just to seek him once for some one-time refuge for eternity's sake, but to stay hidden behind Christ's finished work so that when God looks at you, he sees Christ, not you. He doesn't see your failed efforts at your New Year's resolution. He sees Christ. That's what it means to be hidden in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What are you hiding in? I'm a master hider. I, I told this story years ago when we first started Crosspoint. I, I, one of the most, I, I, saw, I think about this moment and I, I still cringe like, oh gosh, you, you were such a knucklehead. Uh, and I, st- I still... I still hide. It's just my hiding is a little more polished and a little more veiled these days. But um, when I got out of the Army and, and Jennifer and I moved back here to Columbus in 1998, um, I was in a sort of vulnerable time as a man. I had gotten out of the Army and was here and you know, moved back to my wife's hometown. She joined a medical practice as a physician, and, and I don't think I had a job at the time, and I was looking for work. And... Uh, and we went to this Muscogee County Medical Society meeting at uh, one of the country club uh, banquet halls here. And it was, you know, kind of the, all the doctors in town and everything. And my wife was a new physician in town. And, and I'm this unemployed, <laughs> you know, man, uh, kept husband. And, um, I, and I was just feeling kind of insecure about myself at that time and meeting all these doctors. And, and I didn't know any of them. And the thing that I felt sort of validated me most at that time was that um, I had went to the military academy and was a graduate of West Point, and I had been through ranger school. And which both of those two facts had absolutely nothing to do with anything that was going on that night, but I was bound and determined to let everybody there know. Somehow, the conversation was going to shift to the fact that I went to West Point. And so I'm talking to these doctors. Oh, what's your name? Oh, yeah, I'm Brad. I'm my new wife, a pediatrician. Did you watch the Army-Navy game? Um, I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, I actually went to school. I mean, just something. Oh, yeah, you know what, what? I mean, just silliness. I'm just wanting to maneuver the conversation to hide my insecurities behind the fact that I was insecure about the fact of who I was in that moment. And so I was reaching back 10 years before Actually, I guess at that point, five years before, grabbing the thing that kind of made me feel strong and throwing it out there to these people. And I remember this one doctor when I just kind of came out and I just sort of said, oh, yeah, by the way, wait, 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 wait. he just looked at me like, oh, that's good, kid. Here's a quarter. Go buy yourself some ice cream. <laughs> I mean, we do, don't we do that? We hide. We hide. Now, here's the deal. I've gotten a whole lot better at it. 
And I'm much better at maneuvering the conversation in a, a much more covert sort of way so I don't come across like a little silly kid. But, but don't we hide? It's like we hide, you know, we hide. And, and the deal is, is these fig leaves, don't, they don't ever really cover, do they? What are you hiding in? Like, re- like really, deep down inside, what are you hiding in? Um, is your emotional life just like a hamster on a wheel? Because, you know, you're, you just want so badly to be validated by a group of friends or by a young man or a young lady or, or are, are you a young pastor that just wants so deeply to be validated by a church's opinion of himself? Um, what, what are you hiding from? I don't know, I'll, I'll leave it to the Holy Spirit to fill in the blanks as to, to what's going on in your heart. And, and here's the good news about what I think David is writing to us in the psalm and what I think the message of the gospel is, is the anecdote to this, the, the, the cure to this is not a three steps or run off and do this, run off and do that. The, the, the answer to hiding in the wrong things is not do these three things because really those lists become another fig leaf in, in a sense, don't they? The, the answer is Hide in God right, right now. Hide. If you've never done that, if you've never hid in Christ, look to him. He did it for you. He finished the work for you. Trust in Christ. And then, and then when you get there, like David said, you can pour out your heart, man. You don't have to prove yourself to God. Jesus proved himself for you on your behalf. If you're hearing these words right now and it's making sense to you and you're not yet a Christian, I believe that's evidence of the fact that the gospel is hitting your heart right now, resurrecting you from the dead. All you have to do is believe. And that's ultimately what it means to do to hide is trust, trust. God is my refuge. Believe in Jesus right now. If you're You've never done that. Now hide in Christ. I'm not asking you to run off and do something to make yourself more presentable to God. Don't come out from behind your fig leaf, a more awesome version of you. It's just another fig leaf. Hide in God, friend. Believe right now. Christian, man, are are you just a master at manipulating conversations to somehow center back around on you like I am? Hide in God, man. Hide in God right now. Believe afresh. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Man, that's, my, that's, that's it, man. Edward said 70. I got one. Hide and get resolved. Hide in God. Hide in God. <laughs> Hide in God. Hide in the finished work of Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Oh, Lord, thank you. Um. Lord, I confess, I, I am a master hider. Oh, I hide. I, I think we all are. I know we all are because we're people. We're like our first parents, Adam and Eve, that um, are just foolish enough to try and, be hide, try and hide behind hide from the one who knows it all. But here's the unbelievable kindness of your gospel, Lord. You're not asking us to come out from behind 
our pathetic little attempts to take refuge in our own works and self and prove ourselves to you. You've provided Christ who is perfect and who is altogether lovely and worthy. You're not calling us to stop hiding. You're just, you're calling us to hide in you. And so, Lord, if, if there's a friend in this room today who's, who's never yet trusted in you, God, would you do that? Would you give them a new heart so that they can do that? Lord, no, men and women can't do that on their own. It's a, it's a work of your grace. So, God, would you give them a new heart? And, Lord, I know that you delight. You delight. You take pleasure you bring much glory to yourself in and, and giving people new eyes and a new heart so that they can hide in you. Lord, would you do that right now? Would you do that for a friend, a brother, a sister who's in this room who, who's never yet trusted in Jesus? Would you give them a new heart right now? Would that person, that's you, friend, just look to Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. Look to his work on the cross. Look to the one who took your sin. Look to the one who died and rose again. Look to the one who is perfect. Look to the one who alone can cover. Look to the one who alone can provide you refuge. Trust in him. Take his side against your sin, friends. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do it right now. Turn away from yourself. The Bible calls that repent. And turn in trust towards Jesus. The Bible calls that faith. Do it right now. Right now. Believe in Jesus. Hide in him. My Christian friend that's in this room. Oh, <clears throat> come on, let's, let's hide in God. Let's hide in the finished work of Christ in this upcoming year. Yeah, let's, let's make our lists, man. Let, let's, let's start that Bible reading plan. Let's, let's lose a few pounds. Let's, let's clean up the clutter in the house. Let's, let's do that thing. Let's start that project. But, but man, let, let's, let's not let that to-do list sort of send us off into leapfrog from fig leaf to fig leaf. Let's, let's do all of that underneath the cleft of the rock, underneath the shadow of the refuge of the cross. Let's, let's do all of that. Let's, let's pour out our heart before him, successes and failures. Let's do it. Let's stand on the finished work of Christ. Let's, let's hide in Christ this year. Let's do that. Let's do that. Lord, would you help us? We need you. We need you. You alone are good. You are so good. And now, Lord, as we spend a few moments reflecting on these things and worshiping you, I do pray that you'd stir our affections. Stir our affections. For Jesus and his work and how you call us to hide ourselves in you. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.